Srila Prabhupada uh, begins his purport by warning against unauthorized processes of meditation. In the modern age, uh, there are many unauthorized processes of meditation. That meditation is a spiritual process is well known, at least within Hinduism and Buddhism. Now in the Western countries, it's also... But what is the actual process? The actual process is as was practiced in Satya Yoga, particularly as was practiced in Satya Yoga. And uh, that meditation was specifically upon Lord Vishnu. In the condition of Dhyan, the yogis see him, the Supersoul, Govinda. But there are also many unauthorized processes. The Patanjali system of yoga is very famous. That, uh, that is generally known as Ashtanga Yoga, in which uh, Dhyan is the crucial point. There is Yama, Niyama, Pranayama, Pratyahara, all these initial processes, which are, that means um, following the prescribed processes and avoiding those which those things which are not to be done. And the third is asana, I didn't mention. Sitting, pro- sitting properly. Pranayama, control of the breath, is a very simplified description of pranayama. And pratyahara, withdrawing the mind from the sense objects. Then, it is, then comes the stage of dhyana. And that dhyana becomes focused in dharana or clear concepts. And then there is the stage of yoga siddhi, which is called samadhi. This Ashtanga yoga system is uh, alluded to or, or described somewhat in Bhagavad Gita by Lord Sri Krishna. Whether or not the, uh, the system as described by Patanjali is exactly that which Krishna uh, describes, that is content. That is contestable. Because uh, Patanjali is, uh, ultimately what he has suggested is not Vishnu Bhakti at all. He uh, states that meditation should be upon Ishvara. But his ultimate concept is impersonal. That Ishvara, he describes, has some, there's some function in meditation upon Ishvara. There's some functional purpose. Ishvara has some functional purpose. There is a, he's not absolute, but he has a functional purpose. I don't know how to say in Tamil. Maybe someone else can. So if we see his philosophy, we may think that it is theistic. But actually it's not. That he takes, uh, the, Meditation on God only for a certain purpose, and when you've done that, then there's no need for it. So, the 
Ashtanga Yoga system or the system of dhyana that was followed in Satya Yoga, uh, it, it appears to be not exactly that which Patanjali has described. It may be very similar, but uh, somewhere along the line, Patanjali has hijacked the whole process because the uh, the actual system of dhyana, as be, as is being practiced by Narad Muni here, is supposed to lead to bhakti, and as such, the dhyana performed by Narad Muni is bhakti. Bhaktiyasanjataya bhaktiya, bhakti leads to bhakti. No, nothing else but bhakti can give bhakti. Karma cannot give bhakti. Jnana cannot give bhakti. Only bhakti can give bhakti. Janma koti sukritayana labhyate. Even millions of lifetimes of performing mundane pious activities cannot give Krishna bhakti rasa bhavitamatihi, Krishna consciousness. So that may sound very strange. Bhakti can get bhakti. Well, if you, have, if you already have bhakti, then how do you get bhakti from it? This means that uh, beginning stage of bhakti, vaidhi bhakti, that will ultimately lead to uh, shuddha bhakti, or pure devotion, full prema bhakti. The full manifestation of bhakti is prema bhakti. So the meditation that Narad Muni performed, that led to prema bhakti. But by following the process of Pantanjali, uh, one will never attain to prema bhakti. Even though, it, in most aspects, it seems the same, the same process. But because uh, Patanjali, from the beginning, does not understand that the goal is prema bhakti, he has directed his followers to a different goal. So... Therefore, if you if you aim for one attainment, uh, you will uh, if you attain if you aim for a certain attainment, uh, then you are likely to get that. You won't attain something else. There is a totally bogus so-called philosophy which is very popular in the modern age. Jato mat tatopat. All paths lead to the same goal. This is sometimes translated. Now, when we point out that this is totally bogus, sometimes people get upset because they consider it to be a divine pronouncement of a great Paramahamsa. They consider it to be the divine pronouncement of a great Paramahamsa, Divyavani. However, if we examine it, uh, we will find that it is absolutely bogus. So it's not wrong to say that. Even if someone has a reputation as a highly saintly person, if he's talking nonsense, then we should uh, recognize that. Now, who, how are we to judge who is who and what is what? Uh, that we have to judge by the standard of Shastra and by that of the great Acharya. Now, we find in Bhagavad Gita that Lord Krishna gives his uh, most important instruction, Savadhaman Paritya Ma Mekam Sharnam Raja. So he says, Ma Mekam, you surrender to me only. Ma Mekam Sharnam. So if we say that all paths lead to the same goal, it's actually quite different to what Krishna says. And therefore, we have to conclude that it's totally bogus. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense anyway. Just like, for instance, if you study to be an engineer, can you become a doctor? Einstein might have been a brilliant scientist, but he didn't know how to cook chapatis. If someone had taught him to cook chapatis, he could probably learn, but he, he didn't know. So... Uh, as a hypothesis, these kind of hypotheses are popular with scientists. 
as a hypothesis, hypotheses are popular with scientists. If uh, Einstein had walked into the kitchen where, and his wife probably never heard of chapatis, but uh, she said he he volunteered to cook chapatis, and then we say no no not you bring any uh, uneducated village woman from Rajasthan let her cook chapatis she'll be better than Einstein. Maybe <laughs> we should say dosa. So Einstein is brilliant scientist no doubt, but on we can say that uh, you know bring some. All right, we'll we'll stick with Einstein. But who would, who would you rather cook dosai for breakfast? Einstein or your wife? Well, some of you don't have wives, so it's a theoretical question. Anyway, the point is that although Einstein was considered to be a, a brilliant scientist, because of that, it doesn't mean that he's perfect in everything. So it's not that all paths lead to the same goal or all studies lead to the same perfection. Someone says, oh, I... I need bypass surgery, it's going to cost two lakhs, but I don't have the money. So if someone says, well, I'm an, I'm an expert auto rickshaw driver, I'll do it for you for 20,000 rupees only. So, well, uh, no thank you. <laughs> Why not? You'll save so much money. Well, it's an absurd proposition. So, although one may have followed one area or become expert in one area, doesn't mean that he has any, even the slightest knowledge in another area. Same way, you might, you'd rather have the the uneducated auto rickshaw driver drive the rickshaw than have a than have a heart surgeon who doesn't know how to drive do so. Otherwise, you'll need to see a doctor. So the proposition that all paths lead to the same goal doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But this uh, is very widely propagated in the modern age. Therefore, Prabhupada writes here, one should not meditate according to one's personal whims. It is a common misconception that in spiritual life we can just take to it as we like. And most of the modern so-called gurus pander to this (laughs) fantasy. They'll give some so-called initiation with no instruction, no rules to follow. Or even if they give some rules to follow, they don't know what the actual purpose of life is, which is to surrender to Krishna. It's uh, definitely the workings of Maya that in our supposedly scientific age, that people are so unscientific when it comes to spiritual life. That you'll find even people who are highly qualified scientists, they accept some ridiculous so-called Baba as God, for instance. It's just an example. So, uh, they have scientific training, but they don't have the sense to apply the scientific method when it comes to spiritual life. If we are to accept someone as Bhagawan, we should, we should test what are the symptoms. But there is this misconception that, well, spiritual life, it's just beyond any kind of... Un- any kind of ordinary understanding. Therefore, whatever you feel like, that is spiritual. Now, certainly the, uh, the role of subjective consciousness is essential in spiritual understanding. Subjective consciousness. I don't know how to say it in Tamil. If you don't, I'm stuck. Feelings. All right, let's just say feelings. Intuition. But that has to be 
uh, checked against or, or, or rather guided by Shastric understanding. It is true that in, uh, in bhakti, one's ultimately feelings and emotions are most important. Bhakti is not meant simply to make us into philosophers, but bhakti means love of Krishna. However, if our, in the initial stages, which goes on for quite a long time, if our feelings are not guided by Shastra, by, by Shastric understanding and by following the rules and regulations of Shastra, then we will mistake our mundane emotions to be bhakti. Therefore, uh, we have to follow the process given by the acharyas and according to which is which is that given in shastra if we act according to personal whims then we will not attain bhakti ya shastra vidhim utsrija vartate kamakarataha nasasidim avapnoti nasukham naparamdatim this is a very important verse from Srimad bhagavad gita you all need to learn this for preaching to others. Because so many people can bring so many different ideas. But we have to tell them, you have to follow Shastra. Of course, another problem comes when people say, yes, we are following Shastra and our conclusion, and they come out with something bogus. And then we have to come to Shastra Vichar. Vicharam, Charcha. But uh, most people in the modern age, they, they just... Uh, subscribe to something which is totally away from anything in Shastra. Sometimes these, or usually these totally bogus gurus, they they introduce the teaching of the Upanishads or something, but they have no connection with that whatsoever. Or often they, they like to train, they have their followers train their children in learning Bhagavad Gita shlokas, and it, so, the foolish people think, oh yes, you see, this is Shastra. But they don't uh, try to understand what are, what is the meaning of these shlokas. If we understand the meaning of Shastra, then uh, we'll never subscribe to these bogus gurus who, who do not teach that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God. These people are often very tricky because sometimes they may say, yes, Krishna is Supreme. Super, or Vishnu is supreme. But then they'll say that, yes, uh, Vishnu is a manif- manifest, manifestation, he's a embodied manifestation of the supreme, which is ultimately impersonal. Or they'll say that, yes, Vishnu is supreme, and also Brahma is supreme, and Mahesh is supreme, and you are supreme, and we are all supreme, and it's totally meaningless. Because supreme by definition means asamodra. No one is equal, no one is superior, no one is above. If everyone says it, if anyone says, well, everyone is supreme, we can immediately understand this person is a rascal. Because it's a totally meaningless statement. Supreme means above all others, so how can everyone be above all others? There must be one only is supreme by definition. So you have to be very careful of these crocodiles posing as sadhus. Crocodile? Why crocodile? Because the crocodile just sits in the river and looks very peaceful. <laughs> it looks like a real sadhu. But any chance and he'll snap you up. He doesn't have any... It appears as if he is completely satisfied, no bad intentions. But he's just showing like that. Actually, he has very bad intentions. He just wants to... Just wants to... Yeah. 
but just wants to win your confidence so that he can gobble you up. So these uh, words are used in Shastra. Crocodiles, jackals. Jackal is, uh, they, they hide away and come out at night. And they make a big noise, but their business is to find some leftover, some, some dead body or, and, and, and then eat that. So in the same way, the, the so-called swamis, they, uh, they make a big noise, but their, their business is to, uh, pick up the remnants or the, 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 the distorted remnants of the Vedic culture. And actually these so-called swamis who are cheating people, and then they take birth as is fitting as crocodiles, jackals, vultures, and so on. As an aside, as a, as a, going on the side a little bit here, as a side topic. Uh, auxiliary, Anusangik. Another. Uh, I just learned yesterday that in Vishnu Purana it stated that people who keep dogs in their house, they go to hell. Which hell? Can you remember which one? There are so many hells. And then after that, they themselves become a dog. So now it's uh, popular fashion in India to keep a dog, take the dog for a walk. And people are so foolish. We say this not to condemn them. They're already condemned by their foolish activities. But a devotee sees with compassion how people are misled and therefore preaches Krishna consciousness very strongly and very clearly so that people can use their intelligence to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. If devotees don't point out what is right and what is wrong, then how can people ever know? Sometimes it's said, well, you just ask people to chant Hare Krishna, and then they'll automatically understand. But that is not the process of our acharyas. Kirtan is always to be accompanied by Shravanam. And uh, Shravanam means Vedam Vasa Matravastu Shivadam Tapatrayon Mulanam that uh, hearing of Srimad Bhagavatam, which uproots the, is all auspicious, it's the essence of all, the, it's the actual subject of the Vedas, and it uproots the three glaciers, or three miseries, three types of miseries. So Srimad Bhagavatam points out what is the fallacy of material so-called happiness. But one cannot actually perform kirtan unless he has heard properly. If one is superficially chanting the name of Krishna but thinks that it's just the name of another god or that it's a mundane pious activity, uh, then this is a nama aparada. This is, one can never get love of Krishna by such chanting. A devotee has to be armed with knowledge, jnana-sina, the sword of knowledge, so that he can distinguish between Krishna and the jiva. So that he can distinguish between Krishna and the demigods. So that he can distinguish between genuine devotees and bogus, so-called devotees. So that he can distinguish between karma, jnana, yoga and bhakti. So that he can distinguish between uh, shuddha bhakti, uh, pure devotional service and mixed devotional service. If a devotee uh, can't distinguish between, between all these different tattvas, then uh, he can never attain to pure devotional service. So it's another kind of mixed bhakti to 
to say that we won't teach people all these different things. Then, then we're only encouraging mixed devotional service or pseudo-devotional service. It is another kind of violence to the jiva to propose to teach bhakti without teaching bhakti. Without teaching bhakti. We'll teach bhakti without teaching Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam. Or we'll just teach the shlokas that hammer the ideas into the mind. Unless we hear again and again what is the actual message of Bhagavatam, then how will we overcome our attachments to all that which is not favorable for advancement in Krishna consciousness? For instance, for instance, uh, Hindus tend to be very attached to demigod worship. So those who are taking to Krishna consciousness, unless we clearly delineate again and again, no, this is not one, this is an obstruction to pure devotional service, and how will they understand? You may say, well, they'll read it, they can read it in the books. But unless we stress what's in the books, they'll take it, well, it's just in the books, it's not very important. Hare Krishna. Is there any question? Bhakti gives rise to bhakti. Or, or to be more exact, bhakti is revealed by bhakti. Because bhakti, nitya siddha krishna prem shadha kabunoy shavanadi shuddha chite kariya udoy. Bhakti is not a product of anything. Bhakti is not even a product of bhakti. Because bhakti is the eternal condition of the soul. So bhakti, when we say bhakti causes bhakti, it's more accurate to say that bhakti reveals bhakti. That's why we don't talk, we don't think that we're converting anyone. You, you can't convert anyone to be a Vaishnava. Converted Vaishnava, there's no such thing. Everyone is already a Vaishnava. It's just a matter of reminding people. Hmm. So, how we can Oh, right. He, he, he's not mentioning uh, any concept that he gets. Uh, that that uh, one who has performed punya karma, he can take two bhakti, duravataha. And so you're saying, well, it's not mentioned any, it's not mentioned about a gyata sukriti or such, some such thing. So why don't we just take it to mean that uh, by digging wells and opening dhamshalas and anakshetrams that uh, one can get bhakti. Why don't we take it like that? Did, did you understand? I don't think you understood. Why don't you say it in Tamil? Put you on the spot there. Therefore, we have to understand everything through the acharyas. When the, uh, when the acharyas point out that this punya karma cannot mean digging wells and mundane pious activities, it may seem to be their interpret a biased interpretation. But the uh, major function of Acharyas is to give Shastra Samanvai, to show the harmony between different Shastric statements. Now again we have Bhaktya Sanjatiya Bhaktya. So that appears to contradict it seems that by karma and jnana, by karma and jnana, one can uh, 
take to rigid devotional service. But then uh, we have bhaktiya sanjatiya bhakti. Bhakti gives rise to bhakti. So there appears to be a contradiction. So uh, the acharyas have explained that this punya karma, uh, that means uh, that which is in relation to bhakti. And actually, if we consider, it, it makes sense also. Because clearly, any amount of digging wells and opening dharmshalas and anakshetrams and planting trees on the sides of the road, these activities have no connection with bhakti. So how can they give rise to bhakti? An right. elephant doesn't give birth to a rabbit. Although uh, even mundane punya karma is more likely to give rise to the agyata sukriti that leads to devotional service than is vikarma. Because even as an item of punya karma, one is supposed to offer respects to sadhus. And by performing activities such as planting trees on the sides of the road, it's, it's quite possible that at some point in time a sadhu, a genuine devotee, will also take the shade from the tree. However, the conclusion remains that janma koti sukritayana labhyate, that even millions of lifetimes of and here, Sukriti is understood as mundane pious activities. That uh, Krishna Bhakti cannot be had even by millions of lifetimes of pious activities. Devoid of any touch of Bhakti. Therefore, the, the touch of pure devotees, the, the contact is so important. Bhaktis tu Bhagavad Bhakta Sangena Parajayate. Bhakti is had from association with devotees. Bhaktiya Sanjatiya Bhakti. Bhakti gives rise to Bhakti. But where will you get the bhakti from in the first place? That has to come from devotees. Therefore, I'm requesting you to go on preaching pure devotional service by example and by precept, by achar and by pracha. Yes, yes. The word atman atman. Yeah. Uh, the atma is in the first place is translated as intelligence, and the next place is translated as paramatma. Hmm. What, what do you mean, what's the significance? Adna can mean, Adna has various meanings and it's uh, according to context one has to. Here it's Atmana, by intelligence. By my own intelligence, Atmanam, of the Supersoul. The Supersoul is the, the subject of Dhyana. So it's all quite acceptable translation. Ashita Atmanatmanam Taking Ashita Taking shelter of Atmana by intelligence Atmanam the super soul Atmastam situated within myself So taking Oh here Ashita means taking shelter of the of the tree actually Could also mean taking shelter of the Paramat could be read, presumably could be read like that. Krishna Tula Bhagavat Guru Sarva Shroi Poti Shloke Poti Okare Nana Artar Koi. Srimad Bhagavatam is non different from Krishna, it's all powerful and can give shelter to all. Every verse and every syllable has, uh, in every verse and every syllable, it gives so many different meanings. So no doubt this could be interpreted in other ways, but uh, which would 
which is acceptable as long as it doesn't contradict the principle of pure devotional service. Ah, then? Someone else had a question? What is meant by Ishwara? Parameshwara, Paramapurusha, what is the difference? Ishwara means controller. Parameshwara means the supreme controller. Parampurusha means the supreme male. So these are all synonymous terms. Um, Ishvara means Parameshwara, Parameshwara. Ultimately it means Parameshwara. But because Parameshwara has given each jiva some small ability to control, therefore others may also sometimes be considered Ishvara. Therefore, sometimes to emphasize uh, who is the actually the supreme controller and to distinguish from lesser controllers, sometimes the term Parameshwara is wrong. That term is often applied to Lord Shiva, uh, which is not inaccurate within a certain context. Within the context of the material of material existence, Lord Shiva may be considered the supreme controller. Because uh, actually Vishnu is the supreme controller, but many functions of control within the universe he has designated to Lord Shiva. And the material energy is his wife. So, uh, therefore, it's not inaccurate to call Lord Shiva Parameshwara. We should understand that this is true, but not in the uh, full and complete sense, but only within the context of material existence. Because ultimately, Ishvara Parama Krishnaha. So when we offer Tulsi to Lord Krishna, can we accept it as prasadam? Should do. Not, not can do, should do. So if they garland us with Tulsi leaves, can we accept it? Ah, well, we accept garlands with flowers. That's the same, isn't it? When one wears a, a garland of flowers, it's understood that one is wearing as a sign of respect to the Lord, not as a, not as for personal decoration that by wearing a garland of flowers uh, that, that that's offered to the Lord, one exhibits one's attitude of, of submission to him. So the same goes for Tulsi Mahal. Flowers in their hair. It's not a general process. It's, it's not... It's... it's I don't know of this being a shastrically recommended process, but uh, generally to keep anything on the upper part of the body like this, that means to show one's submission. Actually, the ladies, they should wear the flowers offered to the Lord in their hair, not for personal decoration, but as a sign of submission to the Lord. So, in that respect, there's no harm in keeping Tulsi also, although it's not a general process to do so. So, eating meat is... Uh but in those days, Chatriyas were allowed to eat meat. In some places it is mentioned that Bhima himself took meat. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Chatriyas, they, well, they didn't go to butcher shops. Whether halal or haram, they didn't go to butcher shops to kill in the forest. And then uh, then bring the animals and... Uh, and they would be offered in that would be offered in sacrifice. Then they could take. So that may be a, a concession to the, con, the conditioned nature because the conditioned soul has the, uh, what is that? Panam, striya, dutam. 
He said, Striyam Suna. What is that in Bhagavatam? He said, These four. Tyutapanam Striyasunam. Yatra Papas Chatur Vidham. These are four kinds of sinful activities meat eating, illicit sex, or meat eating sex, doesn't say illicit sex, meat eating sex, gambling and intoxication. These sinful tendencies are there in the conditioned soul. So to regulate that and to to turn it into a pious activity, the, the Vedic system is there. As far as being eating meat, he's a transcendental kshatri. Just like Garuda, he is a transcendental flesh eater. Jatayu. Jatayu They're all Vaishnavas, but they are meat eaters. That is the prescribed food for that form. By doing so, they do... In their case, they do not violate the principle of Krishna Bhakti. They do not do so out of a sense of uh, hatred towards the creatures that they consume, nor to gratify their tongues, but uh, as a matter of their service to the Lord. That is for them. That is not the standard process. Will the Kshatriyas incur any sin because of that? Uh, if they... Sin will be incurred by Kshatriyas for hunting in the forest if they do so excessively or for personal enjoyment. So we'll finish there. Hare Krishna. Shri Bhagavatam Ki Jai.